Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pops and Hisses, a podcast where we talk to musicians you love, talk about concerts, and answer your burning music questions. I'm your host, Kevin Coffey, and in this episode, I'm talking to BJ Barham from American Aquarium. American Aquarium is one of my favorite bands, and I had a blast talking to BJ. In the past few years, he and the band have produced a whole bunch of amazing music. Uh, if you don't know them, they are a great uh, country, rock, folk band, and his songwriting is just absolutely incredible. I highly recommend their entire uh discography uh bj and i get into that and where where you might identify with what uh depending on your age and uh vintage so to speak in the interview but i just love their music also his solo albums are great but their 2019 album lamentations was my album of the year and then during the pandemic years they produced two covers albums slappers bangers and certified twangers is a two-volume set of 90s country covers that are just amazing especially if uh you're around my age and you know that stuff so well then this year, American Aquarium released another amazing album, Chica Macomico. BJ has been through a lot, and it all comes out on this record. It's quite the listening journey, and I highly recommend it. Go check that one out whenever you get the chance. Uh, also, American Aquarium is also on tour this summer. I talked about all that stuff, the records, uh, country music, the tour, everything with BJ. This is a great conversation, and I'm really, really excited for you guys to hear it. Real quick, though, I do want to remind you to listen to the Pops and Hisses podcast. Find more music news, reviews, and interviews in popsandhisses.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there. Please do that. But right now, it's time to talk to BJ Barham from American Aquarium. Let's get into it. So, um, looks like I follow you on Twitter, so I've been watching the tour progress. <laughs> looks like it's been going really well. It's been a lot of fun. We've had, uh, it's, you know, week... I guess two of uh, a never ending year long tour now. So uh, we're just getting started. So uh, we're still, uh, morale is still extremely high and uh, hopes are still extremely high. So that's good. Well, you've started off with some really kick ass venues. Like you guys played the, the Bulls Stadium, you played the Ryman. Um, I saw that picture of your daughter at the 930 club. Like that was awesome. That's a great club too. Yeah. It's, uh, we've been really lucky. Um, this tour has been nothing but kind of amazing venues. Uh, I love every venue. Like most venues we play, I really enjoy, but we're starting some pretty rare air when it comes to, uh, you know, kicking off the tour at the Ryman definitely set a pretty high expectation. I imagine it would have to. The place is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you go somewhere like, being able to play the right, like this tour, like I think the, the what they vote every year is at the top five music venues. We're playing three of them on this tour. Like it's, you know, we're, we're fortunate. We're lucky. You know, it's, it's a place that we never really thought, never really dreamed that we would get. Um, and all of a sudden you look up after 16 years and, and you're there. It, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a cool thing. Absolutely. Well, I mean, is this just, feel like the tour to end all tours I mean, in the last two years you've really released i know two original records but i mean really you guys released four albums worth of stuff with the covers records too and now you're finally out being able to play all this i mean it just kind of blew my mind after lamentations came out which was such a great record it did so well for you then you just didn't get to play yeah we did zeros it got great press um kind of a career like i hate to use the word career defining records but 
it was a pretty big record for us. And uh, the fact that we didn't get to play a single show on it for, I think the record came out in May of 2020 and our first show was June of 21 that we got to play on it. And, uh, and that's hard. Um, when you get that kind of press that we got for that last record, you want to take it to the street. You want everybody to hear that record immediately. And so, uh, you know, the universe had different plans. And uh, here we are with another record. Like you said, the fourth record in two years. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, we're just, if, if this band can be defined by any one word, it's, it's resiliency. And, you know, we don't let stuff like that get us down. Like, we know what we do. We know that we do it at an exceptionally high level. And the person that was going to fall in love with us on that Lamentation Tour, they'll get to the table eventually. We'll keep plugging away, and I'm sure the algorithm will keep doing its job. <laughs> and, uh, and we'll get to them eventually. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was – it felt like for you guys especially, and I don't know how it was – you tell me, but uh, I mean, obviously you got to release all those records. I know you started Lamentations in 2019, but was that a good creative time to be able to have that time to do those things? Of course. Yeah. Um, I think whether or not they'll admit it or not, I think every artist wants a year of uninterrupted focus. They Every artist before the pandemic wish they had a year of no shows, nothing to do. You're stuck at home with your thoughts, write a record, create something, make a project, start a band, start a record label, start whatever you want to do. Uh, issue all 16 albums of yours on vinyl. Um, <laughs> I decided to do all of those things during the pandemic. Um, there was a lot of, uh, that is one thing I've never had the luxury of, and that's time. I've never had time where I wasn't touring this band has built our entire reputation off touring. Like our motto is, you know, we'll outwork everybody. There's nobody that's going to outwork us. That's the one thing we can control is our output and our output. Nobody's going to touch us on our output. Um, so all of a sudden you pump the brakes on that. And you realize that you have this, like really there was no end in sight. You know, I was naive enough to believe that it was going to be two weeks. I, mean, I, was, <laughs> I was naive. I'm like, man, we're all going to you know, pitch in. We're going to wear our masks. Two weeks. Nobody's leaving the house. We're going to, we're going to beat this thing. America. Woo. And that's not how it happened. Um, and so after that, it became very, very clear that there was not a end date in sight. And so, you know, a lot of bands complained about it. A lot of bands bitched about it. But a lot of bands started adapting. A lot of bands started doing live streams. A mm -hmm. lot of bands started doing up in their merchandise game. A lot of bands were trying to find ways to make it in a pandemic world. And I think a lot of the bands that survived the pandemic are actually bands like us that kind of, I hate to even use the word, flourished in the pandemic. Were the ones that were willing to kind of go outside that box and do everything they could to connect with fans. Cause that's what we all were really needing during the pandemic. We needed connection. We needed to feel like we weren't alone in our house trying yeah. to wait 
something out. We needed to feel like we had still had a community. And all of all my fans did was just take it from the club and move it online. Well, I feel like I watched a lot of like streams and or you play a song on Twitter or whatever that you did, which was really cool. And I did a lot of that stuff because I used to go into shows all the time. Um, and that was really great. But um, I also feel like you took that we're going to outwork everybody attitude and just did it at the stay at home level. Like you said, you really re-released all those records. You guys put out a bunch of new records. So yeah, that was really cool. And I wondered though, uh, there's that line on little things where you talk about how you used to be uh, on the road with a family back home. And now you're uh, what's the line father and a husband or uh, who knows his way around the microphone. Did that come from that? Yeah. That time. That's totally a pandemic song. That's a, <laughs> that's a song about, falling in love like a lot of parents were like holy shit i've got to spend 24 7 with my kids now like fuck like i don't want to do this 24 7 for me it was a very welcome like me and my daughter have a really great relationship and the hardest part about my job is leaving her um my wife uh is is fortunate enough to be a stay-at-home mom so pearl's always got kind of untethered access and so for the last during the pandemic is when she kind of came online. The pandemic started in March of 2020. She was still one years old. She turned two in April. So from the time she was two up until like four, she kind of had this untethered access uh, to us. Um, we, we were there 24-7. We were there for every move, every first step, every first I love you, first words, first sentences, first everything. And that is so special to me that I got to be home for all that. And so that's exactly what little things is about little things pre pandemic. I, I have been known to, I think one of the things that kind of encapsulates what people think about me is, is hard work. People think of me as a worker Mm -hmm. and, and I, and I wear that proudly. I wear that as a badge of honor on my chest. I write songs about it. Uh, it comes up in interviews and I'm very open about the fact that like, there's no secret to make it in, in the music business. It's just about outworking who's around you. I've had to outwork a lot of much more talented artists. There was a lot more artists in Raleigh and Durham and Chapel Hill that write better songs, were better singers, had better bands. The one thing they didn't have was the work ethic that I have. Um, and that kind of conquered I, the talent and the craft and the band all came when it was supposed to. Like we had to work for it. But ever since the beginning of my career, probably unjustifiably so, I was confident that I was going to make it in the music business. And I put my head down and I started moving my feet. And very rarely did I stop to look up. And so all of a sudden, fast forward 14 years, and you look up and you're like, holy shit, like I'm way ahead of the talented kids and the better bands and the better writers and the better singers. Um, and I, it's, it, it, every band has different secrets of success. Some bands get discovered by the tastemakers. Some bands work the Spotify algorithm. The way that we became a successful band in this, in this scene is just outworking. It's just getting out there and playing 250 plus shows every single year for 10 plus years. And I don't think that's a secret. Like it's, you have to go put the work in and the results will show themselves. And so 
pre-pandemic, I think I was very work-focused. But then all of a sudden, you're stuck at home, falling in love with your new role, a role that you might have considered a secondary role, a role that might have always been even. But, you know, if a really big show came up, I was usually choosing the show over staying at home with my family for another day. Yeah. What the pandemic showed me was that I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do the work at all costs. Like the family comes first now. Um, first and foremost, I am a husband and a dad. Um, singer's number three. And for the rest of my life, singer will always be the third when it comes to my list of priorities. Um, and I think that became, it was, I like to think that it was like that pre-pandemic. It became cemented during the pandemic and post-pandemic. And that's why this year we put a new record out. We haven't been on tour in two years and we're playing a whopping 76 shows this year. And it's because I value the time at home with my family more than I value just being out on the road. I'm, you know, I'm still going to give everything I have to our fan base, but I'm not going to kill myself doing it. And I'm not going to miss the important moments in my daughter's life and my wife's life and our relationships uh, to do so. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a touring musician out on the road, but the same perspective for me of going from like, I work every day, your kids are in daycare, you miss those things. And then it was just kind of awesome to just be around my kids all the time and like be able to hang out. I mean, I had to work and stuff too, but yeah, getting, getting that done and getting so much time was the uh, silver lining, I guess, to all the other stuff that sucked or was a pain in the ass. But, sure. Yeah. So I wondered too, though, um, I'll tell you, Lamentations was my number one record the year it came out. That was on the list that I wrote. Um, I just love that record. It was so good. I feel like you hit, on the nose of all this stuff that was happening in our country at that time. And the people were going through it. It was just, it's kind of amazing that you started working on that record before um, the pandemic. <laughs> when that, by the time that record came out, man, it just, it hit just the right way. So I wondered kind of coming off that record, uh, what were you feeling and um, you know, how, what was your approach? And I'm totally going to say Chica McComico wrong. Maybe I got it right. I don't know. Got it close. Got it close. <laughs> Tried. Uh, what was your approach when making that record? Uh, Chicken Macomico um, is uh, a totally different record than Lamentation. Yeah, yeah. Methodically, but thematically. Um, I think they both cover a lot of the sadness that comes with the human experience, but in two completely different ways. I think Lamentations was kind of a, a, a losing faith in humanity kind of record. It was a losing hope. It was a losing, taking your eye off the prize and focusing about all the bullshit, the nuanced bullshit going on around you. I think Chicken McComico is an extremely focused look at loss. Um, mm -hmm. That's why I wrote the record. I was experiencing a bunch of trauma and loss from losing my mom, losing my grandma, losing a best friend, uh, losing a child, um, being in the middle of a pandemic, losing two years of my professional life. Um, and so I would almost be joking myself if I didn't think that that was going to infiltrate the writing process, you know, like you can't as someone who makes, so, I literally get paid to make social observations and then translate those social observations 
into two and a half minute parables to <laughs> kind of make those things make you feel what I'm feeling. Yeah. And if I do it right, I can make you feel exactly what I'm feeling. Um, so when I started writing the record, I knew it was going to have really heavy undertones. I knew it, it wasn't going to be this bombastic, um, uh, record like Lamentations. Lamentations was not only a record with a message, but sonically it was a really big rock record. Yeah. And I knew that these songs wouldn't work that way. They weren't good. This was going to be a personal record. This was going to be a la 2016's, you know, Rockingham. This was going to be a very stripped down, song focused, vocal centered record. And um I like switching gears like that. I like keep keeping people guessing what we're going to do next. Um, especially throwing a curveball, like with that first single, all I needed. <laughs> yeah, dude, that got me. Cause I, I love that single and it's a really fun song and I've listened to it a bunch. And then uh, when I finally got to listen to the record, yeah, I put it on and I was just like, Oh yeah, that's not <laughs> the same as that one single was. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think we lulled people into a false sense of security. You know, we put, the beach on the cover of the album and had this really fun <laughs> yeah. single. And I think people were like, Oh, BJ's turning a corner. He's happy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but I love where the song comes on the track listing. Once, you know, I finally listened to the whole record was that it comes at the end, which is, you know, after this record of loss of like, sometimes you do just need a song to snap you out of it for, a, even if it's for a minute or something. And that's on purpose. That, that, yeah. that that was at the very, we put that at the very end of this record. It was very a purposeful move um, because we wanted, we didn't want people to be left with that weight of the record. We wanted there to be this lift. We wanted there to be this hopefulness mm-hmm. of, you know, no matter what you're going through, whether it be loss or trauma, that there can be a song. And maybe it was one of these songs that pull you out of that spot. And uh, it's almost like, you know, like a, you know, like a, like we, right before you get off a really long flight, they give you like a hot towel. Yeah. <laughs> like, like clean yourself up before you go into work. After listening <laughs> to this record, it's like take a breather. You know, because the the record itself is a very heavy record thematically. Right. Um, I don't I don't pull too many punches. Um, it's pretty direct of what I'm talking about. There's not a lot of metaphor, not a lot of like reading into songs. There's a lot of songs you're like, holy shit, he told us exactly what he just went through. Mm-hmm. And I think I think a lot of people relate to that. That kind, that level of honesty is what I'm constantly striving for in my writing. That level of transparency is what I'm striving for. And I think with this record, I think we we did that. Like, you know, yeah. I always want to walk that line between transparent and too much information yeah. um, like an uncomfortable amount of information <laughs> and I, and I think we walked that line pretty well with this record like don't get me wrong we nosed up to it a few times we we crept extremely close to like almost putting making it too personal but i feel like those things i mean it was interesting because like you were saying about lamentations which is a big thematically thematically big record and a big sounding record um and how this one's much, uh, you know, more personal, both in both sonically and, you know, it's more stripped down in the themes and stuff. But 
I felt with both these records, they're both things that I was going through. And like, that's what I connected to them. Like um, the first year is a record that just, or not a record, a song that just I identify with so hard because those are the things that you remember. And like, what's, I lost my sister several years ago and, you know, now I'm on the seventh year and it still happens. It keeps happening every time and everybody's gone through that. And like, I know that's a very personal experience uh, story to you, but that is just such a universal uh, theme that so many people go through. Yeah, it's, so I wrote first year about, obviously about a very specific person, my mother, but it's the most rewarding feeling when you write a song like that. And someone else can take the words that you wrote about a very specific person, apply it to their trauma. And then all of a sudden that song is their song about their mom, their dad, their sister. Um, that is an extremely powerful thing for me. That I, I got, That's a gift. And I treat it as such. I treat it as we all have our superpowers. And that's my superpower being able to write about extremely personal stuff in a way that it still remains universally accessible. Um, and I'm proud of that. Like, like a, it's like anybody who has climbed to a certain level in their craft or their career plan. It's like, I'm proud of where I'm at. Like I can, I couldn't, I couldn't have wrote this record. I couldn't have written this record in 2008, 2012, 2015, couldn't have, I couldn't have done this. Yeah. Okay. This record was only, I could only do it now because before this, I would have tried to look the problem face to face. I wouldn't have been able to hover over situations. I wouldn't have been able to try to have like a universally bird's eye view of these situations. Mm-hmm. I would be very much calling it what it is. It would be very much a record for myself instead of me writing a record not just for me, but for the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel that for sure. It was interesting though, too, because uh, it's such a personal record, but you did some co-writing on this one with a few other songwriters, but, um, but tell me a little bit about that, how that ended up happening. Cause uh, those are great songs. And it was interesting to have those. I felt like they were very personal to BJ, <laughs> but you know, I knew you had a co-writer on. Yeah. So the co-writes uh, that I did were still ideas that I had. They were still yeah. songs. Um, I just brought in some really, really great writers uh, to help me finish these songs. Um, Lori McKenna, Hayes Carl, Carl Anderson. Um, in January of 2020, pre-pandemic, had zero idea it was coming. For the first time in my entire career, I signed a publishing deal. Pandemic comes. All of a sudden, everybody's adapting. Me, I'm lucky because I have this publishing deal that I just signed that allows me to kind of co-write with anybody I want to write with. So all of a sudden everybody is new to zoom. Everybody has a, a studio in their house at this point. Um, and so, you know, it was going through and having these ideas and thinking about who could write this really great song with me. And I'm very lucky to have a bunch of friends that I was able to call and get on a zoom with and write songs with like Lori, uh, that song we wrote together just close enough um, I had that line I'd been sitting on for a while and I just couldn't make it work. And uh, Lori comes in within 20 minutes. We have a song. Uh, <laughs> and then Hayes Carl, I was writing this song about my dad 
you know, talking to my mom after she passed. And it it was walking that line of too personal, walking that line of a little bit too much information. And Hayes helped me kind of cut off some of the fat and make it more of a, a universally powerful song. Yeah, the results of those are really, really great. Yeah, I, I ran from co-writing for a very long time. Like, uh, everything pre-Chickamacomico, uh, every song on the record is me, just me. I wrote every yeah. song by myself. And uh, this is the first song that I ever put co-writes on. And there's three co-writes on this record. Three of the mm-hmm. ten songs are co-writes. Um, but that I don't think that takes away from it. They're not, they're still very, they're BJ Barm songs. They're still yeah. very... Yeah. Um, I went into the songs knowing what the subject matter was. I just entrusted some of the best writers in music right now to help me fully realize it. And uh, I don't regret that at all. Yeah, they very, they fit on the record. They sound like you, you wouldn't know. If you didn't read the liner notes of the press release, you might not know, you know? Exactly. Um, so one thing I want to talk to you, uh, we got a few more minutes, but... Um, I want to talk about it's interesting because you release these two like kind of serious uh records about loss and these other things uh but you also released you know slappers bangers and certified twangers and i've just been enjoying the hell out of those uh both and it's so you and i are almost exactly the same age your birthday is like two weeks after mine we were both born like two weeks apart so like this is exactly the country music i grew up listening to too and so uh, the first one came out and I was like, holy shit, it's volume one. There's going to be volume two. And so I've just listened to the crap out of those and it just enjoyed the hell out of them. They are, uh, those will always be defined as pandemic records for me. <laughs> they will always be records that I listened to and I'm like, that's what we did with our time during the pandemic. There's a lot of people that sat back and bitched and moaned and complained about not touring and you know, we're trying to write records and, and running into problems, recording records and all that good stuff. But for us, we, we you know, I've been threatening the band with this for 10 years. <laughs> and again, going back to what we talked about earlier, like the one thing I didn't have was just time, you know, right. time to write a record. And the p- pandemic presented us with nothing but time. And so here we are with a record, you know, here we are with a, you know, an unlimited amount of time to make this record. So, I, you know, about six months into the pandemic, uh, I hadn't seen the boys, you know, in half a year. We hadn't played music together. We were kind of just talking, texting. And uh, I hit him with the idea, like, hey, guys, like, I really want to make this like 90s country record. <laughs> Like, what do you mean? I'm like, just covering a bunch of our favorite 90s country songs. And so we made the first record in three days. It took us three days to make it. Oh, wow. Very quick. It's all live. It's it's just the band playing the songs in a room. Well, you sound great. Y'all, the the band is a different level band. Like, yeah. I love for that's ever been in this band. This band that I have now is, it's not even close about the capabilities of this band compared to previous bands. These guys are studs. Um, But we made that record and we always had the intent of making two records. We already had the song choices for a second record, but we wanted to put out the first one to see how 
to gauge public interest, I guess, to see right. if people thought we were insane, see if they liked it, see if they were like, well, fuck these guys, they're a cover band now. Um, and so we put the first one out, and we totally underestimated how many people, much like yourself, were our age, right. grew up on this stuff, knew every single word to every single song, whether they remembered it or not. Um, and it just went gangbusters. That first one came. We only pressed a thousand vinyl records. Oh wow! And they sold out in eight hours. <laughs> but we we totally underestimated uh, the desire for that, um, or the love affair that everybody else had with nineties uh, country. Yeah. So fast forward and. Uh, Three months later, we go back in the studio and we cut volume two. Another three days, you know, hyper-focused three days. We did everything in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, up at Echo Mountain, which is the same studio we recorded Wolves in. Um, and, yeah, volume two did just as well. And it's kind of crazy, you know, that, you know, we just did two 90s country records during the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> and then our pandemic was kind of bookended with, like, these – two really great original records, Lamentations and Chickamacomico. Yeah. So, like, I think the 90s country record will always, they right now they hold that place, but I think they'll always hold that place of, we can't do anything else, let's just get together and have some fun. They're fun records. I, when I listen to those records, I hear a band having a great time. Yeah. Well, and as a, it's been a good couple of years to be a American Aquarium fan. Um, yeah. Also, like they were, they were great for those of us at home listening because it was this great break from serious stuff to be listening. And I remember I'm listening to them out on my deck, and my wife is like, "Are you listening to Brooks and Dunn?" And I'm like, "No, kind of." <laughs> <laughs> and it's also been what's been fun too is as a fan of you guys, been, uh, it's a sleeper like introduction to American Aquarium. <laughs> I sent it to a buddy of mine who's like, "Hey, you." Should, you same deal. He's like our age and uh, you love all this stuff. Check it out. He loves Joe Diffie. So I sent him that one and he was like, oh, this is fantastic. And now he's getting into you, the rest of your guys' records. Yeah, it's funny. We have people come up to us at the merch table every night and they're like, I didn't know your band until I heard the Slappers and Bangers records. And it was <laughs> like, like a fish hook. Like it was, they fell in love with the covers and they're like, holy shit, this band has 14 other records. Yeah. And then they start digging back. And that's one thing I'll put our catalog up against most is because these records are chronological snapshots of my life. And so no matter where somebody falls, like I've got a record for the 21 year old kid that just went through the worst breakup of his life. Yeah. I've got a record for the the 25 year old kid who's struggling with addiction. I've got the record for the 30 year old kid who's questioning if he made the right life decisions. I've got the record for the southerner who doesn't feel like he belongs in the south anymore but refuses to leave because it's worth fixing the south because of all the good things that are here right i've got the about loss i've got the records about love i got the records i feel like in 16 years i've built a catalog that so far celebrates everything i've went through as far as the human experience goes and i think that the rewarding part of that is it's also something that like other people can apply to their life wherever they are. So yep. we, we, we keep seeing it. There's 18, 19 year old kids show up at shows, never heard of us. 
around like burn, click, or die. And they're like, man, we love this record. And I'm like, man, buckle up. Of course you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, because that's the, you know, that's the the Ricky Bobby record. That's the go fast record. That's the, you know, yeah. like living on the fucking edge, drugs, alcohol, girls. Like that was the record of being on the road in your 20s and living it to the fullest. And then slowly starting to realize maybe that was a bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, man, uh, I've appreciated so much talking to you right now. I'm, you guys are coming to Omaha where I am at the end of the summer, like around September. And I'm really excited to see you guys back here. It's been, I'll, I'll, I'll see you at the waiting room. Yeah, man. That's a great place for you. If you guys have put on some kick-ass shows there. Man, it's such a, I love that. And I love the little ramen bar across the street. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> we, we, we eat the ramen every time we're there. so It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to my talk with BJ Barham from American Aquarium. American Aquarium is on tour this summer, and they have North American dates scheduled through December. You can catch all those at AmericanAquarium.com. If you're in Omaha like me, catch them at the Waiting Room Lounge on September 20th. Tickets are on sale at 1%Productions.com. I will be at that show. Say hi if you see me. I'm your host, Kevin Coffey, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram as at Omaha Music Guy or on TikTok at the Kevin Coffey. Keep an eye on those pages for upcoming episodes. Say hi, ask me a question about the podcast, and we might even feature you in a future episode. Thank you once again to Herd at Media for producing the show. I love you guys. You can find lots more of our podcasts at herdatmedia.com slash network. That's H-U-R-R-D-A-T media.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time. A Herdat Media Production.